good morning, everybody. Um, I want to start with just saying that it's a it's a very humbling and terrifying standing here. <laughs> Believe me, it's much more terrifying standing here than it is standing up there. But um, as we're speaking about ordinary everyday lives, I realize. I just want to start with this quick story. I in the beginning of this year, God gave me a word for my life and um, how he said he wanted me to teach more. Not that I am this amazing teacher, but that's what he said. And those of you who know me know that teaching or speaking in public in general is not high on my bucket list. It's actually not on my bucket list. <laughs> so um, I am here because I believe that God wants, wants this. So... Um, it's a, yeah, it might not seem extraordinary, but me standing here, for me, is kind of, anyway, extraordinary. Um, Pierre spoke about Noah last week, and as we look at ordinary everyday lives, we're going to be studying some biblical characters. And um, I wanted to do just a quick recap of some things that I feel are important for us going into today. The first thing I wanted to say about what Peter said last week was worship is not music. Music is a part of worship, but worship is not music. And then, um, today I will be speaking about the life of David. So why this is important for me to put up there is because obviously when you hear David, David is kind of associated with music. He's associated with other things, but that's the first thing I think is music. And because I'm involved in music, it's kind of easy to put two and three together and try to get seven, but it's not. So we won't be speaking about music today. We're speaking about lives of worship. Our lives, our everyday lives being worship. And we're not going to be focusing on one musical, musical worship expression. All right. Um, then the second thing I think of that is important before we go into today is the, the quote about, from Soren Kierkegaard about the theater of worship. So those of you that weren't here last week, Soren Kierkegaard, if I say that correctly, was a Danish Christian thinker. It says Christian thinker. I prefer philosopher because we're all Christian and we all kind of think. So we could all be Christian thinkers. But he was a Christian philosopher. And the gist of this is that he says that in um, modern contemporary church society, we've created kind of a culture where um, we ha- in church we have actors, we have a director, and we have um, an audience. But what we've done is that we've made the actors, everyone that stands on the stage. So I'm an actor right now. The, ba- the band is an, are actors. People that do announcement are actors. You guys are the audience. And the preacher or the spiritual oversight is the director. Which doesn't seem wrong. But it, it kind of separates us from some, some things. So what he said was that rather that if you draw a circle around... Eternity, he speaks about eternity. But if you draw a circle around this church, everyone that steps into that circle is an actor. That means that everyone that steps into the circle has a part to play. Everything, everyone that steps into that circle is a worshiper. And then the, the director is the Holy Spirit. Because we don't want to do things in our flesh here. We want to we listen and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and let him lead where this is going. And then the audience is God. Because ultimately we all stand before God. 
I mean, I might be standing facing you this morning physically, but spiritually we are all standing and facing God. And then in Genesis 6 verse 9, the passage that uh, Pierre used for Noah was this. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So we see that Noah had righteousness through faith. He was blameless. Just so you know that blameless does not mean sinless. That only Jesus was sinless. And he walked with God, which means that there was relationship. And as we go into the story of David, I wanted to just say that this is, these, you, let's remember that these are stories about ordinary, everyday people living ordinary, everyday lives. David wasn't born six foot five, benching 700 kilograms and flying around. That wasn't the way he was born. Okay, he was born like you and like me, an everyday normal person. The thing is that he had a heart turned and surrendered toward God. So would you mind just, uh, the key text we're going to be using today is Romans 12 verse 1. Uh, if you don't mind just uh, turning there. I'm going to read two versions of it and there's a reason for that. It will be the same scripture, two different translations. Or versions of it. First one will be the message where we, where we get our sermon title from. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. So here we see that we do whatever we do we place before God as an offering. Now I'm going to read it in the ESV. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, as we stand before you, I pray that your word will go out in truth, that your spirit would plant the seeds of truth in people's hearts, in my heart, Father. That as we, as we gather together and as we open ourselves up for your, to your spirit, that we would have a fresh revelation of your love for us, a fresh level of revelation of your closeness to us, Father, and the purposes that you have for each in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So sorry, I'm going to just remove this. I asked God for more boldness and this is what he gave me. So please excuse if you can see yourself in my head, it's just like, I don't know what you should do then. Well, I mean, maybe then you're too close. <laughs> Move back. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we're going to look at the life of David. So I thought looking at the life of David, we need a little bit of a background story. And um, as I was preparing, I had this whole, <laughs> you can ask my wife, I had this whole like, history of like the book of judges and how everything and then Saul and she was like so that doesn't really have anything to do with what you're speaking about maybe you shouldn't think about just removing that and I did I listened to my wife this is the first time I've listened to my wife and um that's not that's just a joke for everyone yeah but I thought what can I say about David 
that would help us in context for today. And the next three things I'm going to say about him is, seem very simple, but it's, they're very true. Okay, so the first thing is David was born. That's it. He was born like everyone else. He didn't appear on earth super, super miraculously. He was born like every single one of us. He had eight siblings, of which he was the youngest. He had family, like most of us. He was a shepherd. He had a job, like most of us. So, I mean, his, his day was literally like waking up and being like, hey, who put my toothbrush in the latrine again? Like, so his older brothers were like playing around with him, and then, okay, well, I'm just going to go sit in the field, watch my sheep, and then see you later. That's how ordinary his day was. He didn't start out as this amazing biblical character. He just had a normal life, like all of us. But there was one more thing that he didn't know yet. But he was the future king of Israel. So this morning, the title of this uh, message is Start, Stay, Stop. We're going to look at the life of David, how it started, his worship started with God, his worship stayed with God, and his worship stopped with God. And for those of you who've like ever like worked with a recording machine or video games, I was trying to be cute and put the little things in there, like a play button, a pause button, and a little stop button. So that's just for, that's just to be like, like cute, yeah. Just to keep it fun, you know, keep it light. But I'm going to get right into it. Point number one, David's worship started with God. And I have a quick question for all of you. Is what, of, what is one of the most famous things said about David? Now, just quickly before you answer, I'd like to have an answer from you because I have the answer here. But um, not about what he did, just what was one of the most famous things said about him? Anyone? Yes. That's correct. He was a man after God's own heart. Does anyone know who said this? Yes. God said this about David. You see, God's always searching for available people with heart turned towards him. You know, like in the story of Noah... And I'm going to have some parallels between the two. So I'm not skipping like, oh, I'm not talking about Noah. Now I'm, talking about, I'm just going to have some parallels. But it says there that God searched the earth and saw that all of man's uh, thoughts of his heart was evil. But he found Noah to be righteous, blameless. He walked with God. So God was searching the earth, but he saw that everyone's thoughts of their hearts was evil. So God is constantly searching. Searching. And to bring that back to David, if you can turn your Bibles to one, the scriptures will be up here if you would like to turn to in your Bible anyway. But 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. It says, But now your kingdom shall not continue. Um, Samuel, the prophet, is speaking to Saul here. He's speaking to Saul. Okay, so just one. And guys, I'm going to have to start to stop myself not to go into the story because it's an amazing story. If you've ever, do yourself a favor, just go read 1 and 2 Samuel. It's incredible. 
It's like one of the best books I've ever read, except for the Bible. But except it's in the Bible, so it's kind of not, doesn't matter. It's still in the Bible. It's really nice. But it's called an epic narrative. And that means that it's been, it was written to be heard. It's written like a story. Okay, so it's incredible. Please do yourself favor. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not, not kept what the Lord had commanded you. And then Acts 13 verse 22. This is in the New Testament, obviously. And this is Paul speaking. And he says, And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. I'm going to repeat this later, but David was anointed to be king when he was 15 years old. What's important about that is not his age. What is important about that is that this statement was made when Samuel spoke to Saul. The Saul was still king, all right? So this statement was made, God found David a man after his own heart, even before he was called. So this leads me to believe that David had a relationship with God before he was called. David, in his ordinary, everyday life, had an extraordinary relationship with God. But how many of our worship mine included, only starts with the calling of God. We want to have a relationship with God once we have a purpose from God. So we know that God saw David as a man after his own heart. And I see that in two ways. Number one, David was exactly what God was looking for. And number two, God was exactly what David was looking for. You see, God is searching. God has a master plan. And if you have a heart that's towards him, he sees that man is available and ready. His heart is after me. He's ready to do all my will. I will use him. And then David, on the other hand, was like, God, whatever you want, my heart is surrendered to you. You are exactly what I want. That's what a, that is what a life of worship that starts with God looks like. When God is exactly what we are looking for and we are exactly what he's looking for. You see, the combination of a surrendered life and a sovereign God is a recipe for substantial blessing. And I just wanted to do a quick, not sidetrack, but little asterisk here. Is that when we speak about blessing, especially in context to this, I'd like you to please, not that you are, I'm just making a side note, please erase any notion of blessing equals finances. It's erased, it's gone. It's not what this piece of scripture is talking about. The blessing from the covenants, even the covenant God made with Noah, the covenant God makes with David, Speaking about blessing all the nations is the salvation of all mankind. 
You see, why does God want the salvation of all mankind? What's the point of salvation? Is to rec- why did Jesus come? It was to reconcile man to God so that we can live in relationship with him. So you see, as we start with relationship, that's the most important thing for God is relationship. He wants relationship restored, and he will use our lives that start with him to restore the relationships of people around us to him. Because the blessing is not for ourselves. I mean, you are blessed within the purpose of God. It's not for yourself only. It's for those around you. And I say that in David's life because God's plan wasn't for David to be king. God's plan only involved David being king. God's plan was Israel's freedom. He needed a king surrendered to his will to accomplish his plan. If it was only his plan for David to be king, the moment that David became king, plan done. Kind of a small plan for God. If God's plan is only for me to be a musician, plan done. But God's plan is the salvation of all mankind, and it's not about me. It's about what I can do in the purposes of my life that he's called me for to draw people nearer to God. God's plans are bigger than us. They involve us, but they don't revolve around us. You see, it doesn't matter where you are or what you do, ministry or secular. Are you willing, even if God never makes you king, to live an ordinary, everyday life of worship that starts with him? And guys, these are the questions that I didn't think of to ask, like, hmm, I'm going to get some difficult questions. I'm going to just, like, poke, poke at them. Uh, That's not really. uh, when, When I was preparing this, God really spoke to my heart. And in this week, I had to ask myself, if, if I never reach my dreams or the things that I believe God has called me to, if they never f- come to fruition in my lifetime, will I still start my worship with him? Is it still worth it? Point number two, David's worship stayed with God. <laughs> this is another side note. This is my... All the rabbits, I'm trying to catch them all. Pierre would be so proud of me. And I know he's not here. He would be so proud of me. He's got, well, hopefully he will listen to this and not skip it. Hopefully. <laughs> you'll see by the end of this sermon, I'll kind of see how it went. And then maybe tomorrow you'll all just receive a message that due to technical difficulty, yesterday's sermon cannot be uploaded onto the website. I'm just saying. I don't know how to do this. I need three hands. Thanks, Oh, thank you. You see, the blessing of the Lord. Anyway, so, so you'll see my three points. One, two, and three all start with S. So Pierre, it will be like, he's the alliteration king. Yes, thank you. But there's more. There's more, I promise. That now, under point number two, I have three T's. Guys, P 
Fear Bear watch his job. <laughs> That's really, oh, I should stop making jokes. Okay. Anyways, okay, we'll see. We'll see how David's worship stayed with God through time, trial, and triumph. Let's start with time. Like Noah, David had to trust that God's word was true and that he would faith, be faithful to complete it. Mm, sorry. Neither of them ever gave up when it took time. It is speculated, and why I say speculated is because I, I searched in the Bible, it doesn't say specifically, and then I googled it, and then there are people that kind of worked it out because of how Noah's age and his children's ages and stuff, but it took approximately plus minus 75 years to build the ark. Okay? That's a long time to wait for the promises of God to come to fruition. I mean, building a boat, uh, sorry, an ark, um, in the middle of the desert, being like, hey guys, I'm building this massive boat. It's going to be filled with animals and there's going to be a flood. And then maybe by, for me, even maybe by week two, I would be like, God, I'm like, seriously, is it going to rain? I don't see clouds. You know, but 75 years is a long time to wait. But it's not about waiting. We'll get to that. See, like I said earlier, David was anointed when he was 15 years old. Then he waited 15 more years before he was king of Hebron, which is just Hebron. Hebron. Okay? Um, which is just like an area. There he was anointed again, and he waited a further seven years before he was king of Israel. Now, if you paint a picture like that, it's not like he was anointed, then he sat on a little chair for 15 years, and then he was anointed again. He had a life in between, an ordinary everyday one. And I know being king doesn't seem ordinary and everyday, but I mean, that was, that was there. We're here. Okay. In all this time, they never doubted God or turned from him. You see, because their desire was not the promise, but their desire was the promise maker. When our desire is for the promises of God, we become discontent, we, be, we doubt, and we become impatient. But when our desire is for the promise maker, then whether we see the promise fulfilled in our lifetime or not, we already have everything we need because we have him. Do we desire God more than we desire his promises? And we'll see in the story, if you read 1 Samuel, that David also didn't force God's time. See, David fled to the desert a, f a few times. And um, when he was fleeing from, from Saul, he had two opportunities to kill Saul. The one, he was in a cave, and he actually was so close to Saul that he could tear off a piece of his robe. The second opportunity, Saul was sleeping, but he was like, I don't know if he was scared of something, but he was sleeping in the middle of the camp, and all his men were sleeping around him, okay? But David walked up to him. His spear 
was stuck in the ground next to Saul's spear was stuck in the ground next to his head. And David took the spear and something else, I don't remember what it was, and he left. You see, the Bible says that God caused a deep sleep to come, come over the, uh, the camp. And why this is important is because they wouldn't have woken up. David could have taken his chance and killed Saul right there, and it wouldn't have, no one would have been the wiser. You see, in both of these situations, the men with David said, For the Lord has delivered him into your hands. Let me take his life for you. But God says that I will not touch the anointed of the Lord. Even though, you know, I keep wanting to go into this story. Even though, as soon as Saul was disobedient, it says that God's spirit left Saul. Even though he was still physically king, but he was not God's king anymore. David knew that Saul still had a purpose. And he knew that it wasn't now the time for him to step into what God had for him. We can't take the things that God promises us. We can't take the promises he makes because it's a, a promise is something that I make to you. It's not something you, I make to you and then you take it. I will give it to you when it's the right time. We don't take God's promises. He gives them to us. David didn't fear Saul, neither was he anxious for the promise because he had an extraordinary relationship with a promise maker. David's worship stayed with God through trial. Noah was ridiculed and mocked. I mean, waiting 75 years, or building 75 years and waiting for the promise to come to fruition is a long time to wait, and that's already difficult. But being mocked and ridiculed during that makes it even worse. It makes the burden more heavy, more heavy, heavier. And David didn't have an enchanted life. As I already alluded, his father-in-law, which was Saul, was his father-in-law, tried to kill him. He was actually his father-in-law because Saul gave him his daughter in marriage because he said he hopes that his daughter is a snare to David so that he would die in battle. Okay? Read the book. (laughs) Anyway. Any case. And then, to make matters worse, so if we think that the promise is, okay, now David is king, now he's fine. After he was king, one of his sons wanted to kill him, and he fled fled to the desert again. So he didn't have a great, fantastic, everything is super life. But he turned to God all the time. And um, I was listening to a podcast the other day by Brian Johnson. And he was speaking about worship. He said a lot of things. But there was one thing that stuck out for me. He said that one day in heaven, I might have said this before, but one day in heaven, there'll be no tears. There'll be no sadness. There'll be no sickness. There will be only joy and there'll be only God. Everything will be perfect. So worshiping God in a trial is something that you cannot do when you're in heaven. It's a kind of worship that you will not be able to give him once you're with him. Because you will only go through trials here on earth. David knew that the strength to endure the trials was found in God. So in his ordinary everyday life filled with trials, his worship stayed with God. 
he, he decided that he would lift up the name of his God, his desire in every situation. David's worship stayed with God through triumph. Now why would I say that his worship stayed with God through triumph? Because triumphs are great. Triumphs are fantastic. But if we think it's easy to turn our backs on God when it's difficult, when times are difficult, when times are great, it's even easier. You see, it's when we trick ourselves into thinking that that which we had just accomplished, we accomplished in our own strength. It's when we remove God from the throne of worship in our lives and we put ourselves there. You see, Saul's, just a short, Saul's story, he was disobedient to God. God asked him something and he was completely disobedient. He didn't do what God asked Then after he did that, he still won the battle, but he didn't win it in the way God wanted him to win it. After that, he erected a little statue for himself. And then after that, when Samuel confronted him, he was like, but I did everything God wanted me to do. Plus, you know what's fantastic? I brought all these animals I was supposed to just kill, and I brought them so I can sacrifice them to God. So he was like, God had a plan, but I had a better plan. Saul thought he knew what God wanted. But God didn't want sacrifices. God wanted obedience. You see, it's obedience in the small things that are also important to God. It's easy, and when I say easy, it's easy to worship God in the big moments, the dramatic moments, the exciting moments. It's easy to worship God when we get that promotion, when we get gifted with a car, when, when um, we get a raise, when, and I uh, can't think of enough examples right now, but it's easy. I mean, when we, we decided to adopt our daughter, it was a difficult process, but it was easy to praise God in it because we felt that it was his will. It was this big thing that we were doing, and we're doing it for God because all of this and all of this. But what does your everyday worship look like when someone cuts you off in the street? And believe me, like I already said, this I've been tested in this this week, and I failed miserably. I'm, just, I'm also just an ordinary, everyday person. What is your everyday life of worship look like when the barista makes your coffee too hot (laughs) it's funny now (laughs) what does your everyday life of worship look like when your Christian friend gets picked for something and you don't what does your everyday life of worship look like when you can see the promises of God being fulfilled in someone's life And not in yours. Does your everyday ordinary life of worship look the same here where everyone sees you than it does when you're alone? Because here people are here. We're alone by ourselves at our house. But the constant between both of those is God. For we're always before him. He is the audience that we are doing this for. 
It's in our ordinary everyday lives that our worship is the sweetest to God. Is in the things that we think don't matter. David's worship stopped with God. Please turn with me to the following scripture. Acts 13 verse 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers. David lived a life of faithfulness until the day he went to be with God. Yes, he had downfalls. He had weak and name his sins. But so do we. We all have sin. He was an ordinary, everyday man like you and me. But his heart was turned towards the Father. You know, when we come to the end of our lives, will we be able to say, I've served the purposes of God in my generation? Will we say that in our ordinary, everyday lives of worship, we placed him first in everything? You see, the big decisions, we worship God. The small decisions, we worship God. But ultimately, the thing is, is that it's in the decision that we worship God. That's the thing that we need to realize this morning, is that whenever I'm in a circumstance, you're, you're not thrusted into a decision. You're always at a crossroad. You need to make the decision. In this situation, will I honor God or will I honor myself? Will I honor God or will I honor myself? Let's look at the first commandment. Exodus 20 verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. This means that in our daily lives, we shall have no other gods before him. This means that we will desire him more than we desire anything else. Because when we desire God more than we desire anything else, we will honor him in all we do because we know that what we do now is worship to him. So this is the Old Testament, which is amazing. But I'd like to take us to the New Testament as well. In Matthew 22, verse 37, and Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees. They were trying to test him. They asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And he said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And this literally feels to me like with all you are. With everything inside of your body. With everything you are. Now with this in mind, I'd like to go back to Romans 12 verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Present your bodies Everything I do with this body, I won't dance. You will leave immediately. (laughs) You will. 
Present your bodies. So this means that whatever, if, if, I, if I say, oh, here's my body. So whatever I do with it then is what I present to God. Okay? As a living sacrifice. Now a sacrifice was something in the Older Testament or in the, in the biblical times that they, that they did, like a sin offering or a, they had a bunch of different offerings, but it was something that they did that was an aroma to God for as worship. But now the thing is that that sacrifice was killed. Brought a sacrifice, they killed the sacrifice. Bring the sacrifice, they killed the sacrifice. It was worship to God. It was restoring relationship. Okay? We get to be a living sacrifice. We don't need to be killed, except that we need to die to ourselves every day. But I mean, we get to live as a sacrifice. We, need to, we get to live as an offering of worship to God. Which is your spiritual worship. There's something that I would like to just throw in here as we, I'm, I'm winding down. Just so you know. Don't compare. This was something that is kind of standalone, but I wanted to bring it in here. Noah and David's life look completely different. Yet they were both chosen by God to fulfill a specific purpose. Your life of worship, your everyday ordinary life of worship does not have to look like mine to be used by God. Mine does not have to look like yours for me to be used by God. There's a scripture in in, in 2 Samuel where it speaks about David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And it's that whole scripture where David danced before the Ark. Okay? I always thought, I don't know who told me this, but I always thought he, like, he, he literally like, was naked. I don't know who told me that. He wasn't naked. He, he had like a linen dress on. So it was just a bit flaily. He wasn't naked. Okay? Anyway, that's not important. Don't know why I said that. I'm correcting my own theology while I'm standing here. Okay. But point being is that there have been songs written about that dancing. That I've sung. And I'll become even more undignified than this. I don't know if you ever sang that song. Okay? Nothing wrong with the song. Nothing wrong with the song. But I don't, like I said, I'm not a dancer. Okay? So I don't need to dance here to be exuberant for God. I don't need to do that. I need to be exuberant in the way he made me before him. So the point's not his dancing. The point is his exuberant worship before the ark of the Lord, before the presence of the Lord. I don't know if Noah danced before his ark. I don't know. But not the point, okay? You know what? Ultimately, we all stand before God. We all stand before God. And the point today is to encourage us that You are never alone. You are never alone. When you start your worship with God, when when your worship stays with God through all these things, when your worship stops with God, He is always there. You are always before Him. I'd like the band to come up, please. This is... um, this is the moment where I'm going to play soft music, going to manipulate you into doing something that I want you to do. (laughs) 
So be ready, I warned you. You are about to encounter the Spirit of God. I want to I wanna go back to the theater of worship. I want to go back to that Christian thinker's quote. But I found the whole one. I'm not going to put it on stage, on stage, screen, because it's, it's quite long. But I'd like you to listen to it. Alas, in regard to things spiritual, the foolish of many is this, that they in the secular sense look upon the speaker as the actor and the listeners as theater goers who are to pass judgment upon the artist. But the speaker is not the actor, not in the remotest sense. No, the speaker is the prompter. There are no mere theater goers present, for each listener will be looking into his own heart. The stage is eternity, and the listener, if his is the true listener, and if he is not, he he is at fault, stands before God during the talk. The prompter whispers to the actor what he is to say, but the actor's repetition of it is the main concern, is the solemn charm of the art. The speaker whispers the word to the listeners, but the main concern is earnestness, that the listeners by themselves, with themselves, and to themselves, in the silence before God, may speak with the help of the address. The address is not given for the speaker's sake in order that men may praise or blame him. The the listener's repetition of it is what is aimed for. If the speaker has that responsibility for what he whispers, then the listener has an equally great responsibility not to fall short in his task. In the theater, the play is staged before an audience who are called theatergoers. But at the devotional address, God himself is present. In the most earnest sense, God is the critical theatergoer who looks on to see how the lines are spoken and how they are listened to. Hence, here the customary audience is wanting. The speaker then is the prompter and the listener stands openly before God. The listener, if I may say so, is the actor who in all truth acts before God. He speaks about eternity being the stage. But eternity is so vast. It feels so far. And it kind of sometimes in my heart makes God seem far. Even if I take this circle and I draw it around things that I feel are important for me that I need to really worship God in, like this church building, my family life, my work situation. Feels like I need to draw a bunch of circles that sometimes I feel I can't manage. None of those things are wrong. But I want to urge you today to draw a new line. A smaller line. I want to urge you this morning to just draw a line around yourself. That everything that happens within this circle will be worship. Everything that happens in your body will be worship. 
the gift of breath we receive will be breathed out to him in worship. That our thoughts will be taken captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ as worship to him. And that the words you speak will be seasoned with love, grace, and humility before God and a desire for him. The word says that your body is a temple, a place of worship where the spirit of the Lord dwells. When we live everyday ordinary lives of worship that start with God, stay with God, and will one day stop with God, he rearranges our lives in a way that will be a symbol of blessing, pointing back to the one that blesses the nations through our ordinary everyday lives. And this morning, I'd like to speak to three groups of people. And I'd like you to close your eyes as we go into a time of ministry. The first group of people. You can can fit into all three groups, two groups, one group, no groups. There's no pressure here this morning. I'll start with the first group. Does your worship start with God? Is he your greatest desire? Have you been desiring other things before God? If you're in this group and you feel, Lord, this morning, I want to return to starting my worship with you. It's not too late. David was 15 when he was anointed. Noah was 500 when he was called to build the ark. It's not too late. The time is now. If you are someone that says, Lord, I want to start my worship with you, I'd like you to raise your hand right now. Thank you, Lord. You can, you can drop your hands. The second group, is your worship staying with God? Is your worship staying with God when it takes time? When you go through trials? When you're triumphant, does your worship stay with God? Have we become impatient with the promises of God? Have we desired those promises more than we've desired the promise maker? If this is you and you want to say, Lord, I want to return. I want to stick with you. I want to anchor my soul. I want to anchor my worship to you. I'd like you to raise your hand right now, please. Thank you, Jesus. You can, you can drop your hand. Last group. Will your worship stop with God? Will you declare today that, Lord, with whatever happens within this circle, I will choose you above all. May the purposes you have for my life be fulfilled in my lifetime as I live a surrendered life of worship as a living sacrifice to you. When we come to the end of our lives, and people speak about us and they give an obituary. Would we like them to say all these beautiful things that we've accomplished? Or would we like them to say that he fulfilled all God's purposes in his generation? If this is you, please raise your hand right now. You can drop your hand. Father, as we stand before you, the only audience we ever need 
as we stand before the promise maker, the one that has spoken every life in this room into being, the one that has spoken promises into every soul that sits here this morning. As we stand before you, Lord, I pray, revive, revive, revive that love. Lord, I pray that the people that want to start their worship with you, that they would, that, that they would be gripped by a desire for you. And that your spirit would come and fan that flame. Lord, I pray that I know sometimes things take time and we get impatient as humans. We go through trials and things are difficult, each on its own level. Lord, but you are our strength, you are our fortress, you are our breakthrough. Lord, and when we, when we, when we are triumphant and when we win, and when we stand on the mountaintops, let us not look away from you. Let us grip you even closer. Let us grip you even tighter. Grip our hearts, Lord, that we may not forsake you in the times of triumph. Lord, and may we get to the end of our lives. That we know that you've desired obedience way more than you've desired sacrifice that we would live a life of obedience for your purposes that you've spoken over each life here rather than sacrificing a bunch of things that you didn't want. But that we would be obedient until the day that we stand before the one that we've desired ultimately in our lives. Lord, for you're faithful to complete what you've started. Not one word that you've spoken will return to you void. We want to lift up the name of Jesus in this place. The name by which we are called. We want to stand before you, Lord. Will you all stand with me, please? Thank you, Lord, for your absolute faithfulness. We're going to respond with a song. You sang this song earlier. The song is called A Thousand Hallelujahs. And in the verse it says, May your praises live in every word we speak. Lord, may every word that we speak be worshipped to you. May you be found inside of them. And with every gift of breath we breathe, we breathe you in. May we desire him like we desire the air that we breathe. Like we need that air to live. May we, that's the way we need God to live. And as the works that you have done consume our hearts. Lord, let us be overwhelmed by your goodness, by your faithfulness. And then let our souls erupt with praise for who you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.